just want to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, I pray you would please open your word to us. Lord, please speak to us. Show us something of your glory and of your beauty. And I pray you would uh, make these things real. And Lord, we know that these things matter so much. And we're dependent on you. We're dependent on you to speak to us. Please, Father, I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, I wanted to share something that in one way is kind of um, specific and in another way is kind of broad, and there could be a lot said about it, but I want to talk about the temple, uh, the temple of God. Um, I think there's some things that are, I felt like were beneficial to me kind of in studying this, and hopefully it'll um, benefit you all as well. Um, I guess just to think about, it's, you know, it's not, we shouldn't really just kind of take it for granted that in the Bible there is such a thing as a temple. After all, the scriptures say that God doesn't dwell in a house made by human hands. He doesn't need to. And uh, even the highest heavens can't contain God. And so it is interesting that in the scriptures we find this idea of a tabernacle and a temple um you know first you see it there with moses you've got the tabernacle and it's kind of like a tent it's not really a temple exactly but it's mobile and it serves the same purpose god is there that's where he's present and um that's where his blessing flows from it's a holy place because the lord's there it's a place of worship um the first temple though uh of course is like with the Israelites, God delivers them from Egypt. They establish even kings, and King David wants to build a temple for the Lord, and the Lord has his son Solomon build a temple instead. But that's not really the temple that I want to look at first. We know a lot about that. But the, keep in mind, that temple was destroyed. Um, just kind of a little history lesson before we look at the Scriptures, just to kind of bring all this back up. What happened was... Um, Solomon built the temple. He was really wise and really rich. And the Lord said, I'm going to let you build a temple for me. And he did that, and it was great. But because of Solomon's sin, because of the sin of his sons, um, Israel was a divided nation. And eventually both groups, Israel and Judah, went into captivity. And when Judah went into captivity, the temple was destroyed. So the temple was wiped out and uh, all the treasure was taken out of it. But God had prophesied that he was going to bring his people out of captivity and he was going to help them to inherit the land and he was going to be their God and they were going to be renewed as the people of God. Um, but one of the other things is that they were going to rebuild the temple. And so let's look at some verses on that. Um, this is in the time of uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, if you want to turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Kind of the background for all of this, um, in terms of books of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah go together, and then also Zechariah and Haggai go together as well. It's all the same time period. 
So we'll look at some scriptures kind of from all of those, and then we're going to talk about uh, the real temple. Um, Ezra 3, verse 11. I don't want to spend too much time here in all of the Old Testament history, but I do think it's important and it's pretty significant. Okay, they're, they're building the temple. They came back out of captivity. Zerubbabel's the leader. He's the descendant of David. He's like the governor. And he's leading the people and rebuilding the temple. And they lay the foundation in verse 10. And then in verse 11 it says, They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So they're happy, they're singing, they're shouting, and they're praising God because His temple's back. And uh, that's important, I mean, in terms of God's favor and His blessing, God's with us. Okay, let's read the, the next verse. Verse 12, Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy. So the young people are really happy. The old people are really sad and they're weeping. Well, why? Like this is a good thing. But what's interesting is that this temple that was rebuilt, when its foundations were laid, they realized this temple was not going to be as great as Solomon's temple. So it's kind of strange. And I, I think it stands out in the book of Ezra. There's a couple other things where it's like they're coming back into the land as the people of God. And it's just not like you would think it would be. It's not as good as maybe they thought it was going to be. And they, they actually weep. And there's, there's other things you can read too about sin being in the midst of the group and intermarrying with other you know, women from these other foreign countries. And it's all displeasing to God and it's kind of disheartening for them. And you would almost get the feeling if you were there with these Israelites, like, man, what's going on? Um, you can see this again in Haggai uh, chapter 2. So let's turn there. This is one of the prophets at that time prophesies about this very same thing. Haggai chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 3. It says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Okay, so this is what the elders thought. But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Okay, these two people. Zerubbabel, the leader, David's line, and Joshua, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, 
the sea also, and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of nations. It says, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what he says here is, I know it looks smaller. I know it looks lesser, but take courage. He says, I'm going to do something in the future and it's going to be far more glorious. He says, it's like he's going to shake the nations. Like think of this piggy bank and he's just shaking it and all this wealth just pours out. And he says, it all belongs to me and I'm going to pour it all out on you. Um, But we'll look at just maybe two more scriptures here. But the interesting thing to think about is this was the foundation being laid There is discouragement, but really these things don't find their ultimate fulfillment in in what was going to happen physically. I mean, God would, you know, bless the temple and he would take wealth from the nations. He did that like Cyrus said, yeah, you can build with our stuff. And in fact, the people that opposed the work, he said, you can build with their money. And uh, he did that physically, but that wasn't. That wasn't the fulfillment of all this. And historically, if you look at what happened with the temple being destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed again and rebuilt, it's not it's not that great. And you just kind of get the feeling like the promises of God are better than that. You know, you would never it shouldn't be that God worked really, you know, in, in mighty ways in the past, but now it's like it's just maybe half as good or almost as good. Like you would think if the Lord's doing His work with His people and you've got all these promises, surely what's coming next is going to be greater. It's going to be better. And that's, that's a tip-off right away um, that when we read about these, this temple being rebuilt and these people being brought out of the land, it's not, there's a fulfillment yet to come. And we'll see that, how it relates to Christ. Um, so if you want to turn over, stay here. Uh, actually, it's just like a couple pages over in Zechariah. 3 verse 8 Zechariah really starts to get heavy on a lot of the typology and prophecy about how this relates to Christ so I don't think I'm just making this up um, Zechariah 3 8 it says now listen Joshua the high priest you and your friends who are sitting in front of you indeed they are men who are a symbol For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. Whoa. (laughs) Okay, so we know that has a lot of meaning. And he says, you, Joshua, and your friends, the people that are associated with him, always Joshua and Zerubbabel, um, he says, you're for a symbol. You know, they were doing things. Joshua was a high priest, but he wasn't the high priest. And Zerubbabel, he was a leader. He was a descendant of David. Um, But he says, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. And this comes up a lot. And Zerubbabel is mentioned by name a lot. Okay, look in uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Also, the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven... And here I think he's talking about the spirits of God, the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit, will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. 
These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. So Zerubbabel is going to build the temple and he's going to finish it. If you look in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he, uh, he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between two offices. Okay, so you've got all of this stuff here in the Old Testament that's just really heavy laden with, you know, pointing forward to Christ. And um, it's, it's meant to teach us, it's meant to make us expect this one that was coming. But um, now I guess we could kind of begin to talk about how Christ fulfills all this. But the interesting thing is, it's like, it talks about Christ building his temple. And it says it's going to be greater. It says it's going to be glorious. And the, you know, the former, gla- the, the, the former glory is going to be like nothing in comparison to what's coming. So how is that true? And I just tried to think about that. What does the New Testament teach us about Christ and His glory and the glory of the temple that He builds? Like, why is it so great? Why is it greater? Um, What is the temple and why is it greater? So I thought of a couple different verses and you can, you know, do like a word study and look up different things that the Scriptures talk about when it talks about the temple of the Lord or the house of the Lord. Um, But there was one really big thing that stuck out to me. And um, let's turn to John chapter 4. Really, I want to look at two verses in the New Testament. But John chapter 4 is the first one. The woman at the well. The Samaritan woman. Verse 20. She said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, it's not going to be the temple. <laughs> not that temple. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And this is one of the first things right off the bat is that we need to remember what's the temple even for? Like, why have a temple? Again, God doesn't need a house to live in. But it's about worship. I mean, it's a place. It's like God does us a favor and He comes down to us so that we can meet with Him and we can worship Him. Um, it's It's a blessing. And Christ says here, he says, the true worshipers, not only, I mean, there's, there's something coming, but it's already even begun. He said the true worshipers aren't going to worship in this earthly temple in Jerusalem. He says that they worship in spirit. And so this is the first thing. One is that the temple of God, 
the reason why we have uh, a, a temple is to worship the Lord. But for the Christian, it's a spiritual temple. And, and when we worship the Lord, it's, we worship Him in spirit and in a spiritual way. And it's not these physical things. Um, we also see that God is actually seeking worshipers. He's seeking people to worship Him in this way. Um, but what is... What does worshiping in spirit look like? Why? I mean, I'm saying that that's greater than anything they had in the Old Testament in terms of, you know, all the sacrifices and all of the things that they would do in the temple. The worship that Christians have toward the Lord today is greater. Why is that? What is and what does it look like um, to worship God in spirit and in truth? We know the temple's been done away with physically. Um, there's a lot of verses that talk about how we are the temple of God. And I, I know that we know that, but it's good to think about that maybe and what that means. What does it mean that we're the temple of God? There are verses that talk about it from a, a corporate standpoint, that each person, when they're saved, when God saves a person, He does a work in their heart. They're united to the Lord. They're made uh, anew in their heart, and He creates a new heart and spirit in them. He he gives them this, this ability and capacity to worship Him. But believers corporately worship God together. Um, and we're, it's like we're built up into a house. We're like little stones that He builds. Um, and they have different spiritual gifts and they serve one another. And there's this whole dynamic that goes on corporately for spiritual worship. But one of the amazing things is that... Um, God moves in the midst of His people, but even individual Christians, each, each individual Christian, you could say that their body is a temple of the Lord, a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's like your body becomes a house, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you and lives in you. And so your worship um, is something that's not confined to a place, and even it's not confined to being around other believers. The fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit means that um, your worship happens all the time. It happens continually. That's, that's everything you do in your body should be an act of worship. Um, let's look at a verse on that in 1 Corinthians 6. There's a corporate aspect, but... There's an individual aspect, and this is really what I want to talk about the most, is this individual aspect that each believer is a part of the temple of God and that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians six, sixteen. He says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So he says here, if someone becomes a Christian, they're joined to the Lord. It's like just like 
in a sense, I don't know how to understand this, but just like in a sense in the way in which a man and a woman, the two become one flesh, he says in the same way when someone joins themselves to the Lord, when they, they, they become a Christian, they're joined to the Lord and they're one spirit with Him. And their body now is a temple of the Holy Spirit and God never leaves them. He's always in them. And again, what's the purpose of a temple? It's to worship. So the big application is that um, all, of, all of life, all of your Christian life, your life in the body, everything you do is to be worshipped to the Lord. Um, and that's kind of just going off the logic here. That's how it works because he says, he's not just saying, don't commit immorality, it's bad. It's like he's specifically trying to show it's really bad because you're joined to the Lord now. It's like committing sin in the temple. You know, it'd be one thing. It's like if you were just kind of out in the country and you're off away from everybody and, you know, the Lord's in his temple and you're trying not to sin around the Lord because you don't want to offend him. It'd be another thing to go into the temple and just have all kinds of sin and immorality going on. And it's like it's it's defiling and it's just it's that much worse. And so that's the picture here. He's saying, don't you realize like your body is a temple and that everything you do is supposed to be glorifying the Lord and as an act of worship to the Lord. Um, So the idea is that um, nothing, no aspect of our life is supposed to just be. normal or just for ourselves everything is for the lord and there's so many scriptures on that i mean uh you know if there's any concept though that ought to teach or get rid of this idea of uh the secular and the sacred it's this it's that the christian's body is a temple of the holy spirit a christian i mean what (laughs) christ when he creates his temple He doesn't make it like this place where you sometimes go to worship the Lord and then you leave. It's like your whole life now is lived out in the presence of God and is to be a continual act of worship to the Lord. And there's just tons of verses on that about how, um, you know, I mean, we tend to spiritualize certain things and say these are the spiritual things that please God. But the Lord wants every aspect of, of your life as a Christian to be lived for Him. And, and there's nothing that we have to be discouraged about or, you know, as if it's just this is just a plain thing and I just have to go through with it because the Lord is present with you um, and you're to do it all for the glory of God. So he's not talking about a physical temple. Um, you know, you think of verses like, you know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all to the glory of God. And we should, I mean, as Christians, like, we should really desire that. It's like, I want to not just assume that somehow in the background, subconsciously, I'm glorifying God, but it's like, I want to enjoy worship and communion with the Lord all the time. Because it's like, He's given us such a a close relationship with Him that we can have it that way. Um, So... Specifically that verse, think about, you know, what was the the last meal you ate before you came here? You know, it's, I don't know. What was it? Was it, I mean, did you, did you, was it like a worship service? You know, was it, I mean, and that's what life is about, right? I mean, life is about worship. And uh, when you get to this thing of, of worshiping God, you're getting to, 
like the central truth of all of life. And it's important to think about, <laughs> why are we here? Why did God... I, we asked um, uh, our small group of guys... Where's Andy? I can't even find... Yeah. Um, we asked our small group of guys, uh, and they knew right off the bat. We said... Um, you know, basically, well, maybe you weren't even in the, that might have been the night you were uh, with Jonas. Um, we asked him, we said, you know, what's the, what's the point of life? Why did God create the human race? And they knew, they said to worship God. I mean, that's, it's about God. It's not about you. It's about him and worshiping him. That's what life's about. And, you know, I mean, even just, just hearing, I was just thinking about it as I was just sitting there, just hearing about all these illnesses and all these deaths and sicknesses and sorrow that comes. I mean, it's like we're given one life and it has a really specific purpose to know God, to worship God, to love God. That's what all of life is about. Um, and God, what he does for a Christian is he brings them so close to himself that their whole life is transformed, like that they worship him all the time and that in everything there's no... There's no secular activity. There's no thing that's just worldly and earthly. It's like we should continually be fixing our minds in heaven, dwelling on spiritual things, always having gratitude in our heart, just overflowing with love toward God all throughout the day, all the time. Um, that's why we were created. That's why He saves people. He doesn't... Just think about salvation. Salvation is not... Um, or you could say forgiveness of sins or justification... It's not just like an end in and of itself, like that God just wants to wipe the slate clean and that's it. Like, no, He wants a relationship to be restored. It's reconciliation. Um, I even remember um, one thing that Garrett was sharing with me a while back really blessed me, was thinking about this idea of adoption. You're adopted into the family of God. And so it's like that's even the purpose of our salvation. Everything goes back to, to glorifying God, worshiping God, loving God. And um, there's just too many verses on that. And uh, so I'm not even going to try and turn to all of them. I really like, there. you know, I've heard some good things and some bad things uh, about the purpose of life or the purpose of salvation or even evangelism. Um, I was talking with somebody about this the other day. A lot of times you'll hear the the term save to serve, you know, have you guys ever heard that? It's like, that it was really big in the church I grew up in, you're saved to serve. And like basically what they mean is you're saved and then you participate in a Sunday school class or you help out in the kitchen with this or that. And uh, that's just not true. I mean, it's, there's some good things in that. They're trying to say, you know, don't be idle, you know, now that you're a Christian. But the thing is, ultimately, that's not, doesn't go deep enough. Or like I've seen, I think it was a pamphlet of some kind that said, born to multiply. <laughs> and like, born to multiply? What are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. Like, just to multiply? Like, what's the point, point of, of multiplying? There is a point to it, though. I mean, you multiply so that there would be many people worshiping the Lord. So that many people would be giving thanks. You know, it's like God just wants to heap up praise and thanksgiving. He wants it to overflow and abound and... So, worshiping the Lord, I really like, there is um, a Christian rap song that a, a friend of mine pointed me to, and one of the lines in it was really good. It said, missions, plural, exist because worship doesn't. And I thought, man, that's good. It's like, uh, 
you know, even, I mean, it's like everything you think of, it's ultimately God's bringing it all that, that Christ would be worshipped, that he would be glorified and honored. And that's, and he does a special work in our hearts in uniting us to himself, that it's like our whole life can be lived out in worship to God. And there's nothing that's left behind. Um, so that the big application is just really clear. I mean, it's, it's that you live your life and everything you do in your body, every activity is done to the glory of God. That you don't, you don't want to pass over anything. You want it all to be redeemed. I mean, I think about sometimes, you know, it's just like <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to have to say only this this part of my day counts for eternity and this part of my day I wish I could use it doing something else like no like the Lord he's pleased in all of it if you do it out of a heart for him and so like wherever you're at whatever your station is whatever he brings along your path redeem that thing and take hold of it and point it back to the Lord um you know to I mean there's a million different ways in which this is true, but it's not—it's not a foolish thing. It's not a childish thing, or you know, trite in any way. I mean, it's—it's it's to think that Paul said you could eat and drink to the glory of God. Um, it's really true. So this is, I think, one of the greatest things about what Christ does when He builds His temple, is that His worshippers—they worship in spirit. And they never leave the temple. I mean, if the temple is your body, you never leave the temple. You're always in the temple. You know, you think about, um, what was her name? Anna, the prophetess there. She was old. She was in the temple all the time, praying and fasting. And that's basically the truth for every Christian. They're always in the temple. And, uh, and it's, it's an amazing thing. It's a, it's a privilege. It's a joy. And I just think that if we can get a hold of this... Um, there will be more joy. I mean, communion with the Lord just brings about joy. It brings about, I mean, it's fulfilling to live for what you were created for, to worship God. Um, and I would say be careful about uh, misreading certain statements. The one that I thought of that Jesus made in John 2. He's cleansing the temple. His zeal for his father's house had consumed him. And he said two things. He said, one, stop making my father's house a place of business. And then he said, it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Okay, but be careful how you think about that because he was talking about a physical place. Um, he was saying, you know, basically you've got these guys, they're selling all this stuff and worship's totally missing from the atmosphere. But the application of that for Christians um, it works a little bit different in the sense that their circumstances are different. Not making my father's house a place of business um, doesn't mean that you only do things like prayer and reading your Bible. I mean, those aren't the only spiritual activities that there are. I mean, everything. You, you do everything that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do let everything you do be done in love. And so when that's your heart, then it's, no matter what you do, you can make it your father's business. It doesn't have to be the business of the world. Um, and, and that's what the Lord, I, I think, is, is calling us to do there. And when he says, you know, you don't have to become a monk to do that. And then he says um, the thing about prayer. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That doesn't mean that this church and this building, we're supposed to come here and pray a lot. 
That's not what that means. I mean, I know we have prayer meetings and they're right. And we, boy, we better be here praying or we're going to be in trouble. But the, the bigger application of that is, okay, the temple of the Lord is, is you, is your body. Your, your whole life is supposed to be just overflowing in prayer. And so, you know, I mean, when, you, when you're around other Christians... Do you pray around other Christians only here at the building? Or do you pray with other Christians outside of the building? I mean, it just, this isn't the temple. This isn't God's house. Um, we're, we're the temple. We're the people of God. God dwells in their midst. And so, again, I would just say, read something like that. Make sure and have the right spiritual application. Um, because the temple location has, has changed. He says, the hour's coming in now is... And the true worshipers worship uh, the Lord in the spirit and in truth. Um, redeem every minute for eternity. I think about this too. Think about the fact that um, Adam and Eve in the garden. This, uh, it's amazing, okay? There was no temple in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it was, it was flawless. There was no sin. But they didn't have a temple. They didn't have a place where they went to worship the Lord. Why? It said that they walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And that's the Christian life. You're walking with the Lord everywhere you go. He never leaves you. And um, I mean, we, we head back to that. Um, or even Enoch there. I don't know what that means, but he was somehow walking with the Lord. And he was pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we want our lives to be like. Not just worshiping on certain times of the day or certain days of the week or in a certain place, but in everything that we do, we glorify God in our body, in this temple that He's made us to be. Um, we're happier when we commune with the Lord. But I would say this. Here's the, here's the big thing. This, to live this way, where you have... Um, the secular and the sacred, you wipe that thing out and everything's holy, everything's sacred now. It takes uh, faith. <laughs> it takes what um, A.W. Tozer, he said, it takes aggressive faith. It's like you have to really, because the thing is, it's like these realities are unseen. They're not, you don't look around and see them with your eyes. And um, it takes hold of, I mean, it takes trusting the Lord, taking hold of the Lord. Um, believing his promises, not giving in to lies, because the enemy will come at you and will suggest certain things to you, like this part of your life, that's not worship to the Lord, that's not pleasing to the Lord, and you've got to have faith, you've got to stand your ground at that point. And two, even like family members and co-workers and friends that don't know the Lord, they're not going to help you in this way. They're going <laughs> to... If you're around them day to day, they're not going to help you turn everything into a, a worship service for the Lord. I mean, it's, it's going to drag you down. It, and, and you have to be looking to the Lord, trusting Him, just pleading with Him and um, looking to Him in faith, believing that these things are true, that God hasn't left you, that He's still with you. I mean, if, if people knew what Christians believed, I, I think of it that sometimes. Most unbelievers, they don't know the depths of what Christians believe. What we're saying is that the God of the universe dwells in you. It's like, imagine explaining that to an unbeliever. Like, well, yeah, I walk around and everywhere I go, he's right here with me. 
<laughs> the God of the universe is with me. He doesn't leave me. I mean, that's unbelievable. They would scoff at that. But it's true. Because God loves His people and He is going to be right near His people. He, he, I mean, there's a union there. That's even what Paul says uh, in Ephesians 5. He's talking about a husband and wife and he says, this mystery is great, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And um, that's what we have. So we have to have an aggressive faith. We have to believe the Lord for this. It's not, I mean, it's going to be something where we have to, you know, purposefully redeem these different times that we have, these different aspects of our life. We have to renew our mind in this way. Um, I quoted that little phrase from Tozer, aggressive faith. Um, he's the last chapter in his book, The Pursuit of God. He talks about the secular and the sacred. It's really, really good. I, I reread it again um, just in studying this, and I felt like he had good things to say. So that would be worth your while if you haven't read it or haven't read it recently. Um, and I guess I would say maybe the last thing I would just want to ask is that, you know, for everybody here, um, you know, are you worshiping the Lord? Because I know, I mean, this is true for a Christian, um, but this is what should be true for everybody regardless I mean, even if you're not a Christian, know that the reason why you were created is to worship God. And um, it's what life's about. And life life is never going to be right as long as it centers around you and, and the Lord's out of the picture. I mean, it's about worshiping the Lord. Um, that's your purpose. That's why you were created, is to bring glory to God, to worship Him, to commune with Him. And if you feel like that God won't accept you, like He's far off and you can't draw near to Him in worship. You know, kind of like what you see in the Old Testament. It's like, here's this holy temple, you better stay away if you're unclean. You better not come near. Remember that when Christ died on the cross, the veil inside the temple, the Holy of Holies, was torn. I mean, the veil, that's the thing, that the temple that Christ built and the temple that He builds His people up to be, there's no veil between them and the Lord. Um, there's, we have full access to God, to His throne. That's what He teaches us. He tells us to enter you know, right up to the throne boldly. And um, that's true for anybody that will trust Christ, anybody that will venture on Him. I mean, that's true. You were created for that, and it's possible because that's... I mean, Christ took away the veil. He tore it in half. The way's open. Um, it's what life's about. Life is supposed to be... A continual act of worship. Well, let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you so much. For all of your grace toward us, Lord, thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. Uh, thank you that you are so great and we want to be your people. We pray you'd be moving in our midst by your Holy Spirit. And uh, just thank you for sending your son. Thank you for um, showing us the purpose of life. Make these things real. I pray I need your help so much. We all do, Lord. 
Um, please help us in Christ's name. Amen. Friday morning, and um, you make sure you pick your hymnals up, we'll be dismissed.